0: You're listening to the Beaver Tales Podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. The way I would
1: approach it is in hopes. I mean, I always wanted to win, but it's bigger than that. It's preparing them to be the best man they could be.
0: This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. We go back more than 40 years today in Oregon State history for an OSU wrestler from the late 70s who had an impact at OSU far beyond the wrestling mat. Today, joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast is H.D. Waddell. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm Josh Warden. H.D. Waddell wrestled for OSU uh, on some pretty stellar uh, Oregon State teams. Legendary coach Dale Thomas led the Beavers in that era. H uh, D. Lettered for three years, finished up in seventy nine is when he graduated and went on to a long career in coaching. Teaching, administrating, he was in Tigard, he was in Central Oregon. He was a principal at Bend High School, also at Madras. He's in the Oregon Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's a Teacher of the Year in two different school districts, uh, Education Administrator of the Year, Principal of the Year awards in various years. Uh, he did get his master's degree from Portland State and have this career all over, including as a sort of chaplain, life coach, mentor. He, he had different titles over the years um, at Linfield for about. 20 years. He did so at Oregon State from the mid 2000s up till 2014, um, and also at Lewis and Clark. He's probably most known, at least I most knew him, at Oregon State for that involvement. But he was was also a wrestler, so he's both a former Oregon State student athlete, but also an impact. And that's mostly what we talk about in this conversation: is the philosophy that he got from the people he learned from, from the Mike Rileys of the world and Ad Rutschman and Dale Thomas, and he knew all three of those guys pretty darn well. And so that's how H.D. kind of grew into his mentorship role, Uh, and he's now living in Central Oregon, retired, and kind of consulting with administrators um, around Central Oregon. So let's get to a really fun conversation with former Oregon State wrestler, as well as mentor, chaplain, life coach, philosopher, whatever you want to call him. Here is H.D. Waddell. Episode 101 coming over from Central Oregon HD Waddell. How you doing today HD?
1: I'm doing great, Josh. Just great. How's the weather over there? At Corvallis?
0: It's been uh, no snow as much as it's been up in Portland. I don't know about Ben. What's Central Oregon looking like?
1: Um, we've had our fair sh- snow, but no ice like the valley.
0: How, how has central you spent a lot of time over there principal at Bend came to Corvallis went back. How have you liked the the environment the people the community you've got over there in the bend area
1: love it um it's growing though leaps and bounds i mean when we first moved here josh there were 24,000 people and now there's 100 <laughs> um so we love it though we we love the community we love bend good good people most people who live in bend josh come here cuz they choose to so they usually have a pretty good attitude
0: that's, uh, we were just talking about it before we started recording, you, you chose to in a sense, but it, there was a, a fun story of going to OSU, going full time, and then things going crazy. Take me back to the story of maybe we should start talking about how you first got involved at OSU in the mid 2000s, then we'll come to 2014 and going back to Central Oregon, all that. But tell me about kind of 2004 and 2005 and and what led into a, a pretty good run of being involved with Oregon State athletics.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, being a beaver, you're always a beaver. I wrestled down there in the seventies and I had been a chaplain, football chaplain at Linfield college for close to 20 years. And um, I drive back for games and do chapels and et cetera. The head coach at Linfield, I was a chaplain at Linfield for three head coaches Ad Rushman, Legend. Yeah. Ed Langsdorf, whose son also coached at Oregon State.
0: Danny, Danny, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then Jay Losi. Wow. Right. Legends, all of them. And Jay and I are best of friends. Each other's weddings, just hooked at the hip. And that's how I started doing the chapels at Linfield was when Jay replaced Mike Riley. It's all Beaver Connections here. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Uh, Mike was the, uh, with Ad at Linfield. Jay took his spot. And then Jay asked if I'd come over and do chapels, they never had done chapels before. Um, So I met with Ad and we all worked it out and did it for 20 years. Jay left to go to Oregon State. And so he asked if I'd come there and start doing chapels. So I did. And the staff there were guys who I'd known, Gary Beck, right? Right? Yeah, Oregon
0: state. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just a lot of guys who I had known for many, many years. And um, so I did that while I was a principal at Ben. And so that's, that's kind of how it started. And um, I did it with another guy. We kind of co-did it together. So yeah, it worked out, worked out really good. It was a lot of fun. And um, so basically what I did for the majority of that time, Josh, was I would come over and speak before games to those who chose to come. And that's what we would call a chapel. And we did it on a Friday night in the hotel. So I did that for, golly, eight or eight, nine years. And um, we had a great run. I mean, that was a great run for Oregon State football. Yeah, I think we went to six bowl games. At one time, Josh, we had the second or third best overall record in 10 years in the Pac-12. Right. For wins. It um, was quite a run. Uh, we just had a, an unbelievable staff with an, uh, with an incredible culture. And all those coaches, pretty much every coach stayed together all that time. There were a few that would come and go, but for the majority of the time, everyone stayed. How unusual is that in today's college football world? So that's kind of how I got going
0: speaking of that staff i mean you got to know mike riley fairly well who we know mike riley as kind of the the fun-loving easy-going guy uh you know bikes to from his house to research stadium that guy who was he behind the scenes that the mike riley that you got to know over the years
1: compassionate brilliant mind his brother is at stanford and works in as a professor at the med school, one of his brothers. Mike is brilliant when it comes to football, but it wasn't his brilliance that made him great. It was his ability to connect with kids and really care for them in a real unusual way. And not just kids, but everybody. You would not know, Josh, if you just talked to Mike before a game and after a game, you wouldn't know if we won or lost. He was the same. And um, not that, you know, he didn't want to win because obviously he did, and he did, but he was very even-tempered on the sidelines. One of the few times I ever saw him really get mad is when there was an unsportsmanlike penalty, uh, and he went off. Never cussed, but uh, he got upset. One story that just kind of shows an example of this. Um, My wife had cancer and so she couldn't sit in the stands at the time she just had surgery i think so she was up in the coach's offices watching the game and mike had forgotten something and he went back up to his office now game's about ready to start and he's sitting there talking with patty checking on how she's doing the games were about ready to kick off and mike's not there he's talking to my wife and making sure she's okay I mean, that guy, he's he's such such compassion and really good wisdom. Um, you know, he just cared about everybody. He really, really did. And, that, and I'm not just saying that. He, everybody was important to him. It didn't matter if you were the equipment manager, a GA. It didn't matter. Everyone had the same importance as the offensive coordinator, as defense. Everyone was on equal grounds. And so – The overall word I would use for him is humble. And what that created, Josh, is humility throughout the staff. You didn't dare get cocky because your head coach was never cocky. Humility was really the ticket of that staff. And um, everyone followed suit. And they all stuck together, you know, through, golly, close to 15 years, I think. And all the families, all our my girls, you know, Kavanaugh's kids, uh, Ciamalos, you know, they all were friends, our kids, we all kind of grew up together before games, after games, whatever. So anyway, yeah, incredible guy, incredible guy.
0: I, I love that story. It's interesting to me, the different coaches you knew now you you worked with Mike Riley on kind of that, you know, in the department in the staff at the same time. Now, when you wrestled at Oregon State in the late 70s, you had a coach of, I think, at least a slightly different demeanor. Dale Thomas was his own guy. Now, if you were to compare the two, two guys who were both successful, Dale Thomas was an immensely successful person in the wrestling community. Mike Riley was a successful football coach. But, I mean, you would know better than I would, but I think different people. How do you compare they, how they got success and who they were?
1: Well, Josh, you're 100% correct. They were very opposite the common denominator where they're very successful coach thomas was the winningest coach in ncaa history so he did know how to win um and coach thomas was old school and i think um in today's era he would have probably struggled a bit today's athletes probably don't have quite the edge of the past And and I'm not saying that you you know, Dale was tough. I mean, that was just, that's just, he was tough. And uh, he treated, he treated everybody the same too, though, Josh. There was no favorites. By no means was I the all-star of that team, but we had a lot of all-stars. I mean, we had Dan Hicks, two-time NCAA champion. We had Larry Bielenberg, NCAA champion. I mean, I was on the heels of Greg Strobel. He was our GA. Um, We had just one after another but they all got treated the same that was that's the flat truth and and that was no one was pampered no one and um you know he was rough and gruff and i i'm not intimidated by too many people but he's one of them <laughs> um and here's the story on that josh i kind have of a funny story after our, i was done competing at Oregon state. I got a, uh, I was a wrestling coach at Tiger. I hadn't had any kids yet. I was married, Patty and I, and coach Thomas was careful with his money. That could, that could go on forever with stories about and how cheap he was. Okay. He saved money all the time, road trips, you name it. We, we didn't stay in the nicest of places or did we eat the nicest of things, but I'm at Tiger and he, I'm not home, and he calls our house and wants to know if he could spend the night because he's recruiting or doing something in Portland. I don't know what he's doing. So I come home, and Patty says, Coach Thomas is going to spend the night here. I go, I'm not going to be here. Patty, we're going out to dinner. Cook him some dinner. Leave him a note. Tell him we'll be back later. I'm not spending the night with Coach Thomas. I mean, you just don't do that. She goes, no, we are going to sit here and we're going to have a dinner with coach Thomas. And that's all there is to it. So that's what happened. And it was the greatest night. We were up till two in the morning talking because I was no longer an athlete. I was now a coach. I'm on the other side and golly, we just had a great time. I always remember that. And um, our relationship changed because I wasn't one of the athletes. I was now on the other side. Um, but he was rough, um, good at what he did, but compassion would not be a term I would use for him.
0: <laughs> yeah when you when you talk about players having an edge, just the kids from from different eras, what I don't know when when you worked with kids, when you coached, when you did the chapels at Linfield or Oregon State, when you were administrator in high school, did you try to, bring out that edge sometimes with the kids and whatever, you know, relationship, whether you're the coach or whatever it was with them. And did you see success in some of those areas? Like, how would you try to, I don't know, sometimes coach like Dale Thomas, sometimes coach like Mike Riley, how would you approach that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I've been really fortunate to be around some really good people. And they all were successful. I felt really blessed by that being around Ad Rutschman was a great one. He's the Johnny Wooden, I think of Oregon. Um uh Coach Losi, Langsdorf, I mean just on and on, not to mention all those other guys like Banker and Cav and Beck, I mean Gary Beck, talk about successful. Um, I mean on and on and on. I I got to really but here's what I learned a little bit um about athletics is it really is a microcosm of life. The things that we've learned on the mat, on the field, on the court, um, really have a lot to do with life. And um, so I don't know of another classroom that can equal, it's not better than, but, it, but there's not too many classrooms that you learn how to handle adversity, how to handle success how to be a teammate, how to get along with others, being teachable, coachable, all those things that you're going to need in life. You're going to need to be a better husband. You're going to need to be a better employer, a better, uh, father and opposite to mother and wife and, but I just worked with guys. So in coaching anyway, so the way I would approach it is in hopes. I mean, I always wanted to win, but it's bigger than that. It's preparing them to be the best man they could be. And so sometimes I would take a Dale approach of, you know, and, um, I would raise my voice and I would get in their face. Other times, you know, kids, kids can't quite take that anymore. Like they may have used to, and this is a whole other topic, but I was in education still am for 40 years and I've seen a lot of changes in 40 years. But the biggest change I've seen, Josh, is the breakdown of the family. Matching changes in curriculum and safety and all that. But the breakdown of the family in 40 years of education is the biggest thing I've seen. And the reason I say that is how you approach kids today has to be different. Um, because their family structure is different. And sometimes they need a whole lot more love and a whole lot more caring. Other times they need a kick in the butt. And um, But you got to understand a little bit more about their background. Some kids come abused. So you got to be careful um, how you're going to address them. Um, So, yeah, I I would think that I've hopefully, through being uh, an administrator and a coach and a teacher, a little bit of all those guys. um, That would be my hope.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. It, I think that is appropriate, and and you you learn from everybody and kind of take a, a melting pot of sorts of all of them. And you you can't be Dale Thomas to them. You can't be Mike Riley to them. You you get or Ad Rutschman, whoever it is. Um, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's kind of come back to what you were doing. You know, at Oregon State, and you did kind of a similar thing at Linfield, even Lewis and Clark. But the sort of life coach, chaplain, mentor, whatever terminology you want to use, when you would mentor the players whether you had a one-on-one relationship or you're just speaking on a Friday night before the game what what was the common things you would speak about with the players something that you would talk about on a Friday night or if a player kind of approached you I, I don't know how many times you kind of started a one-on-one relationship if that happened but what would be some of the things where you wanted to say hey here Here's what I think you need to learn. These are the priorities that you may not know you need to learn this, but let's talk about this element of life and work on that. What would you kind of focus on with them?
1: That's a good question, Josh. And When I would speak to the team, I would use like that microcosm idea. I would, I would use situations in which the team is going through. And then take those principles, mostly time biblical principles, if I was doing a chapel. And sometimes I wasn't doing a chapel, so I wouldn't use scripture. But if I was, I'd use biblical principles and tie that into game situations and life situations. It's usually a pattern that I would do. I would talk about how it affects the game and how it affects your life. And um, and then I would try to be motivational behind it and and relevant so they could use it tomorrow uh in the game and they can use it the rest of their life. a principle is a lifelong truth so hopefully that's that was kind of the idea and we would talk about you know i remember like we're last game of the year with oregon the idea was finishing strong right there's some stories behind that one one of the bowl games was all in like in a poker game you're all in and on that particular one we're playing Missouri,
0: I think. Mm. Oh, 06 Sun Bowl. What's that? Oh, 06 Sun Bowl.
1: Okay, there you go.
0: Thank you.
1: <laughs> Good job. I, I would have got that. So if you remember the game, um, we had scored and we're going to go for one to tie it up. It was at the end of the game. And Missouri calls a timeout. And Evanson comes to the sidelines because we're going to bring the kicking team on. And Evanson says to coach, "Coach, I thought we were all in." He goes, "Let's go for two. <laughs> That's got kind of a fun story. Um, so again, relevant to games, relevant to life. Are we all in in life? You know, and all those things. So I would. I would try to do that in talks and make it relevant perseverance, you know, being an encourager, Barnabas, all those kinds of things that can relate to and topics on and on and on. Right. Um, so that those are fun and, and quite endless really. Um, and I did work with players one-on-one when I went there full time, I would meet with 28 coaches a week. Wow. Coaches, GAs, trainers, film crew. I mean, you know, college football has so many different varieties of people working on an everyday basis to make that program go. I mean, it's really amazing. Most people don't know all that encompasses at a D1 football level. I mean, it's, it employs a lot of people, a lot of people work there. And I met with 28 guys every week. It was awesome. And the reason I did that was because a college football schedule was so busy. I could never put them together at one time to talk. So I go, okay, we're going to call it drive-bys. That's what we called it. And I'm going to, we're going to set up a time. I'm going to drive, not literally drive-by, but I'm going to, we're going to meet for 10 minutes and we're going to have a 10 minute kind of devotional talk, inspiration, whatever. And the 10 minutes usually ended up 20 minutes. Right. (laughs) And, but that's how we did it. And I just had the schedule, you know, and trying to meet them during the times they could meet because they're so busy, so busy. And, um, so that's kind of how we did that. And then I would meet with players, both one-on-one and in small groups, Seth trimmer helped me out quite a bit with that. Um, and uh, former Beaver is another guy that would be great to have on. Um, great guy. He, he, he worked with me a little bit on that. Um, so I'd meet with coaches one-on-one, players one-on-one, players in small groups. We, did, we met with um, some coaches and their wives at night um, in some studies there. Um, and then usually I would talk to the whole team on a Friday night and do nothing on a a spiritual basis. I would usually take a saying of Mike's that he would say and make a talk out of it. So that was always a bit challenging, but it was fun to do. Um, So, I mean, just a variety of things there. Um, No different than probably a lot of people who were in that um, arena, but it was fun to do. Great.
0: Again, just great people. Great people, you know. Um, so, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that 06 season, I, I fell in love with Oregon State football right around that time. And there may, there may be a few games here or there that I watched or remember, but that's kind of the, one of the first ones where it's etched in my brain of Evanson Bernard plunging up the middle yeah. on yeah. the far end zone, going for two, I think, you know, 38, 37, whatever the final score was, Good. and beating Good the zero and uh no that and to hear you play a role the all-in talk and then for Evanson to reference that yeah we all gave him
1: we all gave him poker chips okay you know and another thing we did we always sometimes not always but we gave him little things like when we played usc we did david and goliath right and uh i went and got a bunch of little rock stones and sammy passed them out sammy strotter remember yeah and uh Sammy said that a lot of them put him in their socks. In fact, one of them said he kind of rubbed his foot because that rock was in there during the game. <laughs> you know, not a rock, but a little stone. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun stories. A lot of
0: wow. Fun stories. And that was also 2006 when Sammy had the punt return touchdown and, and beat USC at home. So that was, that was a fun season in 06.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I mean, there's so many unbelievable, there's a lot of NFL players off of those. Teams and some of them still in there. Um, you know, Moore, my goodness, he still was on the roster with Kansas City in the Super Bowl. You know, um, that guy, what a career he's had. Yeah. You know, Matt Moore, what a gem. And um, I remember after the Sun Bowl talking to him, he was a senior, and go Now, Matt, what are you going to do? He goes, Well, I think I'm going to try out for the NFL. I'm thinking to myself, really? Tells you how much I know. Uh, God, he had this unbelievable career. That guy, he was special. He, he, he was probably didn't get the credit he deserved, but boy, that's a long NFL career. You know? Yeah. Um, Sean Mannion. Now, I've done a lot of the weddings for a lot of these guys. Um, you know, a lot of them. Uh, so that's kind of something else that you'd end up doing, is weddings and just long relationships, you know, Evan and I, um, just a lot of, a lot of really good, good kids. Yeah. So Oregon State's a special place and I think, I, I think they're right back at it again. I think they got a special coaching staff again that are going to build in character kids. I think they're, they're all right on track again to, to have a great run. I really believe that. And it really does start with Getting the right people, the right leaders, and I think Jonathan seems to be the right guy. You know, a product of Coach Riley, um, and he'll surround himself with people of good character. He'll
0: recruit the right kids. I think we'll be back. I think so. Yeah, yeah. you you know, you surrounded yourself with a lot of good coaches, so I hope that that knowledge serves true. Well. Hey, HD, thanks so much for your time. That's been a solid half hour of good you know, life advice and philosophy. And so um, yeah. thanks so much for chatting about some Oregon State sports history and the things you've learned. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Go Bees! <laughs> and if you ever have any... Well, I like talking with the coaches, administrators, teachers a lot because you can tell they've done a lot of work in educating the next generation you know processing through the lessons they want to teach other people and so they can talk for a long time about what they find to be important uh, lessons and important philosophies in life that we need to carry over and hold personal to ourselves and so that's why people like H.D. Widdell make pretty good podcast guests and hope you enjoyed that conversation as well. I got a number of guys from his era and Jay Losey was a fun one and to hear their best friends as he calls it uh, that was pretty fun and a lot of good guys in that era. Looking forward to some good conversations uh, going forward. I may not upload podcasts as regularly, just working hard on this baseball documentary I'm putting together. So it may go more to like a once-a-week format, um, but uh, hoping to put out fun conversations Uh, you know, once a week or whenever it may be. And thank you for listening as well. Also, I like to mention charities for free in this podcast. Convoy of Hope is one of the ones I talk about whenever there's uh, disasters going on, crisis relief, whether it be, you know, big areas in the country going without power or places overseas that have some sort of, uh, humanitarian need. Convoy of Hope is a reliable place to donate money to, and they can uh, use that money in big ways. If you check out convoyofhope.org, I'll put a, a link in the description as well. Thanks again to H.D. Waddell for coming on the podcast, and uh, thank you for listening. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Until the next time on the Beaver Tales podcast for episode 102, thanks for tuning in. Have a great day, everyone, and go beeves.